Due to the graphic nature of this killer's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of abuse, violence, and murder. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Eddie Seda wasn't used to a beautiful woman talking to him, so when Trish Fonte approached to ask for a cigarette, the 25-year-old felt his heart race. It wasn't just her looks or Brooklyn's summer heat that had him sweating. Eddie had come to Highland Park for a very specific reason that day, and the way he saw it, Trish was sent to him from a higher power, served on a silver platter. Eddie told the 39-year-old that he had a smoke for her, but only if they went on a walk together. Desperate for a cigarette, she agreed. Several minutes later, Eddie led Trish into a section of the park with thick trees. Trish seemed calm and content, but that was about to change. As he'd done several times before, Eddie pulled out a homemade zip gun and pointed it between her shoulder blades. Then he pulled the trigger. A deafening boom filled the air. Trish crashed to the ground, but then, confused and terrified, she tried to stand. Eddie wasn't used to seeing his victim struggle, so he aimed and fired again. Trish spun backwards from the impact and her body slumped to the ground. But despite the blood spreading across her clothes, she attempted to get up again. Eddie's heart pounded. She wasn't supposed to fight back. He was supposed to have the final say, life or death. And yet, here she was, defying his will. He felt for the knife in his pocket. It offered a simple solution to the unexpected scene playing out in front of him. And he decided that however it had to happen, he would get his way. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. This is Serial Killers, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every episode, we dive into the minds and madness of serial killers. Today, we're finishing our exploration of Eriberto, or Eddie Seda. I'm here with my co-host, Vanessa Richardson. Hi, everyone. You can find episodes of Serial Killers and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Last time, we discovered Eddie's thirst for attention, which drove him to write copycat letters to the police, pretending to be San Francisco's Zodiac Killer. Then he took to Brooklyn streets, determined to kill 12 people, one for each sign of the Zodiac. Today, we'll witness the citywide panic that spread through New York, just like Eddie wanted. Then we'll learn about the NYPD's efforts to track their astrological killer, culminating in a shootout that ended Eddie's criminal career. We've got all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Accounting Plus. We've heard about career killers, but how about a killer career? Accounting has got it all. You'll have flexibility, great pay, and the kind of lifestyle you've always dreamed of. If that's not enough, you'll have the opportunity to make a difference by using your detective skills to investigate financial mysteries. Want in? Accounting Plus provides free resources that'll help guide you to a successful career in accounting and personal freedom. Do more. Live more. Visit joinaccountingplus.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. On May 31st, 1990, Eddie Seda checked his astrological chart and smiled. The constellations of Orion and the Seven Sisters were nowhere to be seen above Brooklyn, New York. It was just what he needed. After performing his protective enchantments, the 22-year-old stepped outside his apartment dressed from head to toe in black. In the dark night sky, he could see the stars of Leo shining down on him. It was time to strike. Eddie made his way to the Cypress Hill Cemetery, where he waited for his next victim, a Taurus. Just as Eddie expected, 78-year-old Joseph Prose hobbled through the cemetery sometime after midnight. Years of working as an ice delivery worker left him riddled with arthritis and pain. So even with the help of his cane, Joseph moved slowly, which for Eddie made him the perfect target. After following Joseph for a few blocks, Eddie noticed the old man start to shuffle a little faster and check over his shoulder. He'd been spotted, but rather than panic, Eddie likely took delight in this new cat and mouse game. Besides, Eddie knew the area well, and he felt no need to rush through the evening's activity. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. According to a 2001 article published by the Journal of Environmental Psychology, criminals often operate in areas close to their homes. This is somewhat logistical since they're able to create plans while going about their everyday life, but it also puts the person at a psychological advantage. Eddie knew his Brooklyn neighborhood like the back of his hand. He lived there his entire life and he knew Joseph's route home. He probably didn't just feel safe following the older man, he felt confident. Enjoying himself, Eddie let the 78-year-old get all the way back to his house. He even watched the old man open the iron gate to his front yard. That's when Eddie made his move. Eddie cleared his throat and asked Joseph for a glass of water. Likely surprised by the request, Joseph turned around. Then, Eddie asked if he could come inside to warm up. Joseph grumbled an excuse and turned his back on the young man. Eddie pulled his homemade gun from his jacket pocket and aimed it at Joseph's back. He squeezed the trigger. After a deafening noise and a cloud of smoke, Joseph lay on the ground. Eddie, filled with adrenaline that he believed was power from God, placed a note on the ground next to his victim. To keep it from blowing away, he put three small rocks on top. On the paper, he had drawn the symbol of the Scorpio, the Gemini, and the Taurus, representing his three victims so far. Under those, he included the Zodiac Killer symbol, a circle with a cross through it, the crosshairs of a gun. 
Just like the note Eddie previously sent to the police, he wanted it to look like it was from the infamous San Francisco Zodiac Killer. However, Eddie added his own touch to the letter. In green ink, he wrote the name Faust and underlined it twice. This nod seemed to reference the famous German magician, Johann Georg Faust, whose essays and enchantments fascinated Eddie as a teenager. It could be that Eddie found some sort of spiritual power in using the name, or perhaps he just couldn't resist making his own mark. After leaving the note, Eddie stepped back from Joseph's body. Once again, he didn't check if his victim was still breathing, and as Eddie ran silently into the night, the 78-year-old stirred. When Joseph regained consciousness, he crawled toward his building's front door and rang his neighbor's doorbell. After seeing Joseph, she called 911, and an ambulance arrived to rush him to a hospital. To the police at Joseph's crime scene, there was nothing unusual about the attack. In the early 1990s, officers at the 75th Precinct knew Brooklyn as a so-called killing ground. Homicides were so common that the police station hung a small, bitter sign in their office that read, you give us 22 minutes, we'll give you a homicide. So that evening, the bloodstained pavement on 87th Road seemed like a run-of-the-mill tragedy. But there was one big difference, the letter. Detective Bill Clark read the note with a creeping sense of dread. Almost 15 years earlier, Bill had helped catch David Berkowitz, the infamous Son of Sam serial killer. Berkowitz, too, had left the police taunting letters. But unfortunately for Bill, there wasn't much else to go on. Once he recovered enough to speak to the police, Joseph was too confused to describe the man who shot him, and no one else had seen the attack. Even if they had, Eddie had worn black clothing that covered his face and gloves that prevented fingerprints. The investigators were left with nothing. Meanwhile, in Brooklyn, Eddie hid in the apartment that he shared with his mother and sister, poring over newspapers to find coverage of the murder. But it was just like his first attacks. The Zodiac's name was nowhere to be seen. Eddie had no life beyond his obsession with the Zodiac and his Catholicism. He'd never had friends, kept a real job, or even kissed a girl. But it's hard to know if Eddie felt any shame in this, because he threw himself so fully into his new pursuit, murder. When Eddie couldn't find any articles about the return of the Zodiac, he decided it was time to escalate his tactics. In the days following Joseph's attack, he wrote two more letters, almost identical to the one he sent police months earlier. This is the Zodiac, he started. Then he added an astrological chart, the name Faust, and the crosshairs symbol. He included descriptions of the three people he thought he'd killed, plus the dates he attacked them. He also wrote that the bullets he used had no grooves. Eddie wanted credit, so he was eager to prove he knew every detail of the attacks. Once he was finished, Eddie mailed the note to 60 Minutes and the New York Post, addressing it to the editor. On June 6, 1990, just five days after Eddie attacked Joseph, reporter Ann Murray opened Eddie's letter to the New York Post. Almost immediately, she sent it over to detectives in Queens, hoping they could confirm the homicides. However, since none of Eddie's victims actually died, the police had no murders in their files that matched those described in the letter. The mystery of these letters would have stopped right there, but Detective Bill Clark happened to wander through the 109th Queens Precinct and noticed a note on someone's desk that looked just like the paper from Joseph's crime scene. 
Bill asked the detectives about the letters, and they said it was just a hoax. Hearing that, Bill pointed at the sentence that read, May 31, 1990, white old man with cane shot in front of house. That was Joseph Prose. With this revelation, police examined the letter more closely and discovered that the other shootings mentioned were connected to Mario Roscoe and Jermaine Montenestro. It was clear that whoever wrote the letter was responsible for all three of these attacks. However, Bill wasn't convinced it was the famous Zodiac. To check, the New York Police Department sent copies of the letters to Bay Area officials who ran a handwriting analysis. They determined the New York notes weren't written by their Zodiac, putting to rest any fear of the original killer's return. Still, that didn't ease the detectives' minds. Whoever wrote the letters made it clear they wouldn't stop. Plus, Joseph was still in the hospital for his injuries. Even if the shooter hadn't killed anyone yet, he'd certainly proven himself dangerous. When Anne Murray at The Post learned that the letter was genuine, she jumped on the story. And on June 19th, she published a piece with the headline, Bizarre Letter Links Three City Gun Attacks, Riddle of the Zodiac Shooter. That day, Eddie was walking through Brooklyn when the headline caught his eye from a newsstand. Ecstatic, he bought the paper, ran back to his apartment, and eagerly read his debut. Finally, recognition was his. But to his shock, the article said that none of the men so far had died. And his surprise turned into rage when he read that authorities believed the letters were unrelated to the San Francisco killer. Eddie couldn't believe it. After all of his work, his victims had survived. But no one thought the Zodiac was now in Brooklyn. He was just as ignored and unknown as ever. But as he paced around his room, something occurred to him. Maybe, he thought, the police were trying to trick him. They knew the true threat he posed and wanted to goad him into making a mistake. According to the 1997 book, Sleep My Little Dead, once Eddie came to that conclusion, resolve flowed through him. He wouldn't give them the satisfaction. To be fair, Eddie wasn't completely wrong. Investigators were nervous about his next move, and they did have a plan to catch him. They noticed these Zodiac attacks occurred 21 days apart, so they guessed that the shooter would go hunting on June 20th. That night, the NYPD sent hundreds of officers out to patrol the area between Queens and Brooklyn, where two of the shootings had occurred. Detectives were sure that this was the location the shooter would pick, but Eddie was already a step ahead of them. Coming up, Eddie's ego soars as he evades the NYPD. Of all the mysteries in the world, perhaps the greatest is, when will it all end? Or rather, how? Hi listeners, it's Richard and Molly from the Spotify original from Parcast, Unexplained Mysteries. With the end of the year approaching, Unexplained Mysteries is taking a closer look at some of the most infamous end-of-the-world scenarios in a five-part doomsday special you do not want to miss. Throughout the month of December, discover the many ways people have prophesized our demise, from a religious apocalypse and an alien invasion to threats from space and nuclear warfare. We'll even explore how advancements in technology could be our undoing. Do any of us have anything to truly be scared of? Therein lies the mystery. 
Listen to the Unexplained Mysteries five-part Doomsday Special, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Accounting Plus. We've heard about career killers, but how about a killer career? Accounting has got it all. You'll have flexibility, great pay, and the kind of lifestyle you've always dreamed of. If that's not enough, you'll have the opportunity to make a difference by using your detective skills to investigate financial mysteries. Want in? Accounting Plus provides free resources that'll help guide you to a successful career in accounting and personal freedom. Do more. Live more. Visit joinaccountingplus.com. Now, back to the story. By June 20th, 1990, 22-year-old Eddie Seda finally saw his crimes appear in New York's newspapers. And even though he discovered that all his victims had survived his attacks, he forged ahead with his plan. Now that he thought the police may be after him, Eddie decided to switch up his pattern. Instead of striking close to home, he took the subway to Manhattan one night. Eddie arrived in Central Park. The dark labyrinth of trees was perfect for his needs and he slipped on his black gloves and hat. In Brooklyn, he had spent days stalking his potential victims, studying their routines and finding their weaknesses. But here, he had to identify a vulnerable person and learn their zodiac sign in a matter of minutes. A little after midnight, Eddie watched 30-year-old Larry Parham, who was noticeably unhoused, wander over to a bench. Larry unfolded cardboard and placed it on the seat to sleep on, before stashing his bag under the bench. Larry closed his eyes, and Eddie waited for him to drift off. Two hours later, Larry was clearly in a deep sleep, so Eddie crept over to the bench, reached into Larry's bag, and pulled out a wallet. Taking his black gloves off, Eddie held Larry's ID up to the moonlight. Lo and behold, the birthday was June 29, 1959. Larry was a cancer. Eddie smiled. To him, it was another sign from God that the attacks were holy and necessary. According to a 2020 study published by Institute of Labor Economics, people who strongly believe in a religion are more susceptible to confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency to interpret events and information consistent with one's existing beliefs. The 2020 study found that people whose beliefs are polarizing or controversial, mostly in politics and religion, are even more likely to evaluate the world through a lens that supports their side. Eddie was entrenched in his Christian rituals and prayers and believed he was God's warrior. So the coincidence of Larry's astrological sign may have justified his violent actions. Satisfied, Eddie returned the wallet to Larry's bag. Forgetting to put his gloves back on, he took out the note he'd prepared and added one last touch, a crab, cancer symbol. Eddie placed the note under the bench, then took out his makeshift gun. Eddie was determined to finally take a life. He felt no fear, only purpose. He aimed the gun directly at the cancer's heart and pulled the trigger. As soon as he fired, Eddie took off. What Eddie didn't know was that the bullet had missed all of Larry's major arteries. Bleeding but alive, Larry waited for someone to walk by. Eventually, he was found by two police officers who called an ambulance. 
While Larry was on his way to the hospital, the cops found Eddie's note. They radioed Detective Sergeant Mike Cirabolo, who had just returned from his Brooklyn manhunt for the shooter. He was defeated from an unproductive evening. But when he heard about the note, he raced to the scene. Sure enough, it was the same author. This letter also included Antichrist sentiments like 666 and ancient Latin phrases. It seemed like the ramblings of a madman, but that didn't stop Mike and his colleagues from taking it seriously. This man had attacked three people in various locations. None of them seemed to have anything in common, which meant that anyone could be next. Not to mention their attackers seemed to pick the zodiac signs ahead of time. Then he found people that fit the sign. That meant he somehow learned the birthdays of his victims before he attacked them. It was deeply disturbing. None of the survivors said they recognized their assailant or had any enemies. So the perpetrator was either extremely good at research or as some superstitious cops joked, had mystical powers. A task force for New York's elusive Zodiac was set up, headquartered in an empty building at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And at first, there was some good news to work with. The shooter had left a fingerprint on the note police found in Central Park. Officials didn't find any matches when they ran this print through their system. But now, when they stopped suspects, they could compare fingerprints. It was a step in the right direction. To Eddie's delight, the newspapers reported on the latest attack quickly. Though he was disappointed that Larry survived, he could sense panic in the black and white print. He also loved that the NYPD had set up a task force to catch him. In his eyes, he was finally being treated like a threat, just like the real Zodiac Killer. Then, only three days after the Central Park attack, Joseph Prost died from a wound infection. The New York Zodiac had finally taken his first life. Sitting in his room, Eddie carefully cut out articles from various publications and taped them into a scrapbook. He gave the piece on Joseph's demise a place of honor. To Eddie, it meant that his magic was working. But not all publicity was good publicity. In early July, while cutting out yet another news piece about his attacks, Eddie stopped cold. The article reported that police had found a fingerprint on the letter in Central Park. Panic filled the 22-year-old. He probably guessed that if he was arrested for anything, officials could tie him to these crimes. Eddie decided it was time to take a hiatus. He could return to his mission when things settled down. For months, the special task force surveilled suspects, checked fingerprints, and monitored every 21st night of the month for a new round of letters and victims. But as time went by with no incident, the NYPD had less reason to invest their resources. Within the year, the task force was disbanded. Detectives like Bill Clark were disappointed they didn't get an arrest, but they hoped their efforts had done enough to scare the killer and save lives. It's not clear how Eddie passed the time. He still lived with his mother and young half-sister Chachi and typically stayed in his room. While his mother seemed to give her son space, Chachi held her ground. Eddie had beat her as a child, but the 16-year-old was now big enough to hold her own. Plus, she saw no reason why Eddie should call the shots. She dropped out of high school to work so she could provide for the family. While she brought money home, her brother had no job, no social life, and no potential. Chachi refused to be bullied by him. 
For Chachi, this meant hanging out in the living room whenever she wanted, instead of retreating to her room to hide from Eddie. It also meant she spent time on the street corner with her friends, which included people that Eddie deemed unsavory. She just enjoyed the fresh air, music, and food, but Eddie saw her actions as immoral. He lectured her against hanging out with those people, but she ignored his rants. According to the book Sleep My Little Dead, Eddie's response to his sister swung between quietly seething and throwing temper tantrums. The way he saw it, he was the man of the house, and Chachi was interrupting his control. It's likely that Eddie was unsatisfied during this time. He missed stalking targets and gathering information like the military man he'd always wanted to be. He especially missed the thrill he felt when he pulled the trigger on his gun. Even so, Eddie seemed to resist his desire to attack more victims, at least for the time being. Two years later, in August of 1992, Eddie was watching Nightmare on Elm Street 3 when he felt a familiar urge. He observed with interest as Freddy Krueger slashed young women with bladed fingers. Ever since he was a kid, Eddie loved shows with war or violence. Perhaps that's why his mother didn't seem to think it was strange to catch her son watching a Ted Bundy documentary or taping the Unabomber's capture on TV, even though Eddie would watch with a pen and paper taking notes. Finally, Eddie made a decision. He wanted to return to killing, to feel the power of taking a life in the name of purity and God. But he didn't want to be arrested. So despite his love for astrological mystery, he decided to stop targeting people based on their zodiac signs. Eddie also let go of his reliance on the stars. He didn't have to wait for Orion and the Seven Sisters to leave the night sky. He wanted to act immediately. On August 10, 1992, 39-year-old Trish Fonte went on a walk. She often went on long, rambling adventures through the city, asking strangers for cigarettes as she moved from neighborhood to neighborhood. While the sun dipped below the horizon, Trish wandered into Highland Park in East Brooklyn. There, Eddie watched her from the baseball bleachers. Perhaps sensing a pair of eyes on her, Trish turned and smiled at Eddie. Then she walked over and asked for a cigarette. Eddie smirked. He had done all of his old enchantments and prayers before he left that night. So he probably felt like a higher power had delivered Trish into his trap. Eddie led Trish to a hidden thicket of bushes in the Ridgewood Reservoir, where he pulled out his zip gun. He pointed it at Trish's back and fired. The 39-year-old hit the ground moaning. But unlike his previous victims, Trish didn't stay still. She thrashed, trying to crawl away from her attacker. Eddie was stunned. The change shocked him into silence. His mind buzzed with panic. He shot her again. But this time, Trish actually stood up, still fighting for her life. Eddie hesitated. He had a knife in his pocket, but he was afraid to use it. But then, a flash of Freddy Krueger went through his mind. The San Francisco Zodiac had stabbed people too. Why couldn't he? Eddie grabbed his knife and stabbed Trish over a hundred times. He didn't stop until she was absolutely still. Only then did he sit back and let the shame wash over him. Not the shame of taking a life. He just couldn't believe that after all of his training, he had still hesitated. 
When authorities found the crime scene, they had no reason to think Trish's murder, however brutal, was linked to the Zodiac letters from two years earlier. And Eddie, careful as ever, left no evidence behind. After this, Eddie decided to take another break from killing. Perhaps he was shaken by the stabbing, or maybe he just wanted to be careful. We aren't sure what he did during this time, but after 10 months, he was ready to hunt again. On June 4th, 1993, Orion and the Seven Sisters were once more gone from the sky, while the Leo constellation shined brightly on Brooklyn. Eddie, seemingly back to his old love of the stars, returned to the place he had killed Trish. Just after midnight, 40-year-old James Weber walked by. Eddie jumped out from behind some trees and shot James' leg. When his victim went down, Eddie burst out laughing, then ran off. James, still very much alive, hobbled to the nearest street, where he found authorities to help him. On July 20th, Eddie went back to Highland Park and waited for another victim. It was almost midnight when 47-year-old John Diacone walked slowly along the Interborough walkway, close to Eddie's hiding spot. Eddie saw John's dirty, unwashed clothes and guessed he was unhoused. The sight of John made Eddie angry. To him, John was just like those guys begging on the corner during his childhood, a sinner, and he needed to be dealt with. Eddie ran up to John and shot him in the neck. John tried to stop the blood and scream for help, but his wound was too deep. Eddie had learned a lot since his first few attacks, so this time he watched John bleed to death before running away. Though Eddie claimed that he gave up on his mission to kill one of each zodiac sign, these last three victims contained his astrological pattern. Trish was a Leo, James was a Libra, and John was a Virgo. It's unclear if Eddie did the background work he had done before, or if he simply got lucky. But that October, Eddie's streak broke when he shot 40-year-old Diane Ballard, another Taurus, in the neck. Diane survived the attack, but that didn't do anything to deter Eddie. By now, he had attacked eight people, killing three of them. And without his ominous calling cards, the police hadn't yet connected these new attacks to the elusive New York Zodiac. But little did Eddie know, the end of his violence was quickly approaching. Coming up, Eddie goes down in a blaze of bullets. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. By early 1994, 26-year-old Eddie Seda had returned from his hiatus as New York's copycat Zodiac killer. He attacked four additional people, two of whom died, and he wasn't finished. A few months after shooting Diane Herbert in the neck, Eddie decided to go hunting once again. In March of 1994, he dressed in all black and grabbed his homemade gun and a dagger. After performing his usual rituals, Eddie left his apartment. He loved feeling the weight of his weapons in his pocket. 
At the street corner, he took the zip gun out to check it, then quickly stashed the pistol away again, but it was too late. Two police officers had seen him. They approached Eddie and asked what was in his pocket. Eddie's heart dropped. This was the moment he'd spent years worrying about. He smiled and explained it was a zip gun for his own protection. Unfortunately for Eddie, the cops didn't seem to be swayed. They handcuffed him and sent him to the 75th precinct. There, an official explained that Eddie was going to be slapped with a weapons charge. Then they took his fingerprints to send them to New York's criminal records. This could have been the moment police matched Eddie's prints to the Zodiac letters. However, because of a small technicality in his case, the charges against Eddie were dropped. And even more incredible, his fingerprints were destroyed before they ever reached the state database. Eddie walked free. Though there has been no criminal evidence to confirm this, he later claimed that he took another life only three months after this arrest. Perhaps he made the story up, but it's also possible that he did kill again and the body was never found. Or, given his history, maybe Eddie didn't actually kill his victim, and the injured person never reported the attack. But whatever power Eddie got from his shootings, it wasn't enough. It was nothing like the thrill of seeing headlines about his crimes in the newspaper, knowing the police had created a special squad just to catch him. So even after this close call, it seemed like he couldn't resist the spotlight. Less than six months later, on his 27th birthday, Eddie decided to give himself a present. He sat down at his desk and pulled out a pair of gloves, along with a pen and paper. Then he scrawled, this is the Zodiac speaking. Along with several astrological doodles, he included information from his most recent crime scenes so they would know he was serious. He wrote NYPD with a zero and a big frowny face next to it. Then he drew the Zodiac symbol with a big number nine next to that. And in an encrypted code, he warned, be ready for more. That night, he mailed his letter to the post. Just as he suspected, the city reacted. The newspaper ran a story. The police reformed the New York Zodiac's task force and Brooklyn's residents started whispering about the killer's return. It was exactly what Eddie wanted for his birthday. But despite the warning in his letter, the 27-year-old didn't immediately resume his attacks. He'd already escaped the threat of detection once. Instead, Eddie made do with smaller vigilante actions that were in line with his mission to rid the city of so-called sinners. In March of 1995, he told the police about a woman in his building who was dealing drugs. When she was arrested, he felt incredible. Strangely, it was the same feeling he had when he acted like the Zodiac. He was making the world a better place. He was God's soldier. Chachi didn't share her brother's views. She knew the woman who'd been arrested and those she worked for. People started telling Chachi to control her brother or the family would be in trouble. But when she asked Eddie to stop, he refused to listen. To his sister and mother, Eddie appeared to be acting more strangely by the day. When someone bumped into him outside of the building, he screamed, I'm going to start killing. Even when he was in his room, the prayers and chants that his family could hear through the walls would suddenly stop. Then Eddie would start screaming slurs. It was like he was possessed. In June of 1996, Eddie's mother went to church while Eddie and Chachi stayed home. 
Chachi's friend Wilbur, someone that Eddie did not approve of, came over that morning. And when Eddie heard them laughing from Chachi's room, he grew furious. Eddie banged on the walls, trying to get them to stop being so loud. When they continued giggling, he decided he had enough. He took one of his zip guns and fired it into the kitchen wall. Chachi bolted out of her room, screaming at her brother. And as she yelled at him, he likely realized he'd never be able to control her the way he wanted to. So when she turned to walk back to her room, Eddie pointed his gun at her and fired. Chachi screamed in pain as the bullet hit her. She tried to reach for the landline, but Eddie ripped it out of her hands before she could call for help. By this point, Wilbur had run out of Chachi's room, but before he could help, Eddie pointed his weapon at Wilbur, forcing him into silence. Moving fast, Chachi stumbled out the front door and into the apartment hallway, banging on neighbors' doors. Eventually, someone let her in and called 911. When the ambulance arrived, paramedics walked into the building without an issue and began attempting to save Chachi's life. A few minutes later, two policemen pulled up to the brown brick building. It seemed calm outside, like the drama was already over. But then they heard a shout from above. It was Wilbur warning them. In the next window over, Eddie was pointing one of his makeshift guns at the street. Bullets rained down on the pavement. Officers and bystanders attempted to take cover. Within minutes, authorities called in a SWAT team for support, and soon there were helicopters swarming overhead, teams of special unit officers surrounding the building, and negotiators standing by. Eddie's response was to put on a Swiss Army helmet and keep shooting. He also started preparing the pipe bombs he'd been making for years. He always knew he would be engaged in a glorious battle one day. And now, here he was. After an entire day of trading bullets, a team of authorities finally made it into the building and climbed to the third floor. The door was half open, so a negotiator started trying to calm Eddie down. Eddie seemed willing to talk. He asked about how much jail time he would get and which prison he would go to. Eventually, he agreed to be taken into custody. He was charged with 15 counts of attempted murder, plus weapons charges. Because Chachi survived her wounds, there would be no murder charge. After raiding the apartment, police were stunned to find zip guns and pipe bombs. A few cops even joked that maybe they'd found New York's Zodiac killer. Back at the station, Eddie was calm and polite. He answered questions with the confidence of someone who thought they had done nothing wrong. And when they asked him to write a confession, he did so willingly. Under his confession, Eddie wrote, God help me. Then he drew a circle with a cross through it. The Zodiac sign. As we discussed last time, Eddie seemed to have some undiagnosed narcissistic tendencies. According to a 2006 study published by Personality and Social Psychology Review, narcissism can be linked to impulsivity, thanks to narcissistic desires like self-enhancement, gratification, and blame aversion a narcissist can act impulsively to defend or highlight themselves. This, as the study mentions, is often counterproductive to their long-term goals. It is likely that Eddie, faced with inevitable jail time, wanted to throw his past crimes in the officers' faces. But perhaps more so, he wanted credit. 
His letter reached the desk of Detective Joey Herbert, a 75th Precinct veteran who had followed New York's Zodiac case a few years prior. As soon as he saw the handwriting, Herbert knew this was their killer. The detectives ran Eddie's prints and found a match from the Zodiac letter all those years ago. After the officers confronted Eddie with this evidence, he broke down and confessed to everything. In the summer of 1998, a jury found Eddie guilty on multiple murder counts and sentenced him to 235 years in prison. For several years, Eddie worked as a porter, handing out meal trays and water at Attica Correctional Facility. During that time, his religious fervor did not waver. But it seems in the spring of 2003, his values did. 35-year-old Eddie began dating fellow inmate 29-year-old Cynthia China Blast, a trans woman. Before her arrest, Cynthia China was a Latin King gang member and a drug dealer. Her connection to a world of crime should have been a reason for Eddie to hate her. After all, he'd spent his teen years trying to rid his neighborhood of drug dealers and claimed his shootings were to eradicate criminals from society. So to some, their relationship might suggest that Eddie's morals were not the unbreakable, uncompromising force he paraded on the streets of Brooklyn. It's more evidence that what Eddie really wanted all along was power and prestige. And in that, he seems to have failed. Because despite his best efforts, despite all the innocent people he killed and injured, Eddie Seda is not known for carrying out some larger mission for God. And he certainly wasn't making the world a better place. He'll be remembered as a killer. Thanks again for tuning in to Serial Killers. We'll be back soon with a new episode. For more information on Eddie Seda, amongst the many sources we used, we found Sleep My Little Dead, The True Story of the Zodiac Killer by Karen Crowley, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Serial Killers and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Stay safe out there. Serial Killers is a Spotify original from Parcast, executive produced by Max Cutler. Our head of programming is Julian Boireau. Our supervising sound designer is Russell Nash, with Nick Johnson as our head of production, and quality control by Spencer Howard. Ben Bishop is our supervising editor, and Derek Jennings is our writing lead. This episode of Serial Killers was written by Kit Fitzgerald, edited by Amber Von Chasson, Joel Callan, and Kate Murdoch, fact-checked by Haley Milliken, researched by Brian Petrus and Chelsea Wood, produced by Bruce Katovich, and sound designed by Michael Motion. Our hosts are Vanessa Richardson and me, Greg Polson. An alien invasion, nuclear warfare, the second coming. How will the world end? Will we be prepared? And will it matter? This December, join Unexplained Mysteries for a five-part doomsday special examining the many theories about humanity's ultimate demise. We're counting down to the end of the year with the most infamous end-of-the-world scenarios of all time. Listen to the Unexplained Mysteries five-part doomsday special, free and only on Spotify.